0: August 17th, 2021, five, 10 years from now, they will call this a blind spot. They will say they just didn't know. It was a different time, a difficult context. We did our best, but we didn't. We didn't listen to the voices of the hurting. We didn't wanna hear their perspective or challenges. We wanted to remain blind, to be comfortable and content. And anything that offered new vision was silenced, told to find a new church, chased out with complaints of too negative and too critical. A blind spot ceases to matter. The moment the car you are about to demolish lays on its horn and screams, you aren't seeing something here. To continue to veer in that direction, to demolish the car anyway, to ignore the horn and plow around recklessly, that isn't an issue with a blind spot. That's an issue with the driver. That was a journal entry from Nicole, and today you will hear her story. It is the story of a smart, gifted, vibrant woman of God. She accepted the Lord in college and went on to receive her Masters of Arts in Ministry Studies. She describes a passion for the church that is spirit-filled and a call on her heart to be in ministry that only God could have placed there. At the time, she felt strongly convicted that complementarian theology was truth and that she could be faithful to what God was calling her to within the bounds of that theology. She would go on to take an internship at a local church where she would begin to see how hard the path for a woman gifted in ministry in these spaces truly is. At one point, she would even ask to speak with every staff pastor just to understand the disconnect between what she believed was faithful, good theology, versus her own experience that was riddled with awkward interactions and a general sense that there was no space for her. What's your take on women in ministry, she asked. And although the staff pastors were gracious, they all seemed puzzled by what women in ministry practically looked like within this system. She was told at one point that she would make a great pastor's wife, although she was engaged to a man that was not in ministry, because this was the only position within their church structure that they believed her giftings could be utilized. She would become disheartened over the next couple of years, but through each season, she continued to seek out opportunities to be in ministry. One day, when scrolling for jobs, she came across a posting for a position within an Acts 29 church in Houston. They were intentionally hiring a female for the role of Associate Director of Youth Ministry and specifically expressed a desire to grow in their views of women in ministry. She enthusiastically applied and was hired. At the time, it seemed like a dream come true, but she would quickly learn that their actions would not match their words. I'm Jonna Harris, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast.
1: I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't gonna stop. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those
0: are the options. Put the best I can stop. All right, Nicole. So you have found this job that is your dream position. You've been hired. You're walking in to work. What is your perspective on what this role is going to entail? What was communicated to you?
2: We're hiring me very intentionally to, and this is kind of how it was presented to me, to sort of be a driving force behind conversations that... From what they told me, the elders and the leadership of this church were wanting to engage in conversations about women, about how they value them and make use of them within their body, that they had been having these conversations even before considering of hiring me and hiring me would sort of bring a face to that conversation to where it wasn't this like theoretical, theological debate. Like, no, there's a woman now on our staff who has specifically the gift of teaching who wants to use that gift, what are we gonna do about it? Like this, these conversations now affect a person is kind of how I was brought in. They were very transparent with me of like where the current situation was. Um, And that was that I was not able to teach the full youth group. I could teach middle school and girls only, but the full congregated youth with, you know, 18 year old boys, I I was not able to teach at the current moment, but that, that was kind of in discussion. They were clear. They didn't know where the discussion was going to go. But according to the man who would be my boss, as well as our lead pastor, they were both very adamant that they not only wanted me to teach high school, but would be advocating for and fighting for me to teach in in even broader capacities. And that that was their view and conversations I had with them. It seemed our views to be like very similar. Um, and I kind of summarize it pretty much anything outside of congregated assembly on Sunday morning is, if not freely open, at least you know debatable um, to a high degree of, of a woman being able to teach. And so that's kind of what their view was presented to, to me as. It's difficult because I, I don't know that I fully comprehended the culture I was about to step into and like where the church was actually at. And it's hard. I mean, we were in LA at the time and we only got to come visit, you know, over one weekend. And even in that weekend, there were some things said that we we're like, oh, okay, that's where we're at. But then, of course, like, is that an isolated person? Is that everyone? You just don't know. And I think, too, the reality is, I don't even think I comprehended how difficult it was going to be to myself exist in this culture where, in my opinion, women are not rightly valued and the toll that that was going to take on me. And the reality of these men have never worked with a woman in ministry before. <laughs> these men's view of women in ministry is wives. Some of these men I don't think have ever been in a room alone with a woman that was not his wife in several years. Like these are types of things <laughs> that you don't really think about and you don't really consider yeah. until, until you're in it. And so all that to say, like I... I remember appreciating so much the transparency we felt like we were given coming in of like, this is where we want the church to go. We want you to be part of that, but this is where we're at. And to be honest, like that to me was an answer to prayer. Like we had been through a lot in San Antonio and I I had, I mean, the example I gave is just one. I had sat through a lot of sexist comments and a lot of kind of questionable behavior toward me as a woman. And I wanted to use that for something like it grew in me a tougher skin. It grew in me a resilience to be able to not only take those kind of things, but then still be able to submit to that type of leadership for several years after I had patience for this. I had grace for this, that I knew a lot of women in ministry would be gone by now, like would be in an, egalitarian church would, would have given up on this kind of complementarian space. Looking back, I'm like, uh, duh, <laughs> but at the time, and I'm, this is probably where my pride kicked in. I'm like, I, I want to be different. Like I want to be the woman that can be patient enough and gracious enough to withstand these growing pains and see this church to the other side of this conversation where women are genuinely flourishing. I wanted to be a part of that and and it was very much painted to me that I was gonna get to be a part of that. but I, I don't think anyone was ready for what that was gonna actually mean for me as a human being and not just like as a concept. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we'll hire a woman and she'll be this space and it'll be great. like when I started actually like having a voice and like having emotions and feelings about what it was like to be in this space, I think that very much changed. <laughs> The conversation yes. and the, the kind of dream aspect we all had of what this was going to be. You were passionate
0: about finding a lane for you as a woman in ministry that actually aligned with the complementarian spaces. So you yeah. weren't trying to be a pastor. You were like, I just want to be like affirmed in ministry and what I even can be underneath your views. You weren't even trying to break out of that. You weren't trying to chip away at like (laughs) changing the whole framework for the space that you were in. You were just trying to flourish and use the gifts that God gave you within their framework.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: And with that, you couldn't even really get like a solid, what is the framework? Because nobody actually knows, except for maybe you should be a pastor's wife.
2: Right. And I, I genuinely wanted to believe. If they just got to know me and got to know my gifts and got to know this clear call on my heart, they'll realize, oh, it's a problem. We don't have a framework for this. Like, oh, that'll kind of open their eyes to the reality of like, there is no path for women in ministry. And Mm -hmm. that's a problem. We aren't seeing women with these gifts in our churches. Mm -hmm. And that means those gifts are not being utilized and they're not being you know, called to use. The way that they should be biblically, yeah. And so, I, in my mind, I, I think I just genuinely believed any complementarian church that was not making a place for women was maybe just because they hadn't realized the significance of that. Mm-hmm. And maybe if there was a female voice to say, "Hey, here, this is me. You know me. You see my gifts. You've you value me. my life. You value me. Let's work together to find a place for this." That that was definitely my heart and my intent and what um, I I thought this could be was Mm -hmm. working alongside my brothers to really begin to wrestle through what it means to have a woman fully flourish in her gifts, even if she's never gonna fill the Sunday pulpit. Because no, that's not what my goal was. That's not what I wanted. I just wanted to do my job. (laughs) I just wanted to, you know, like use my gifts in a way that was of equal worth and value to the men around yeah. me who were getting to use their gifts yep how dare you <laughs> <laughs> very scandalous i know
1: <laughs> i think it's funny that the acts 29 and other people when you talk about complementarianism they talk about servant leadership with women like being servant mm. leaders and use all that terminology but you just said something that was interesting about and i don't know whether their comments made like the one about being a pastor's wife but there were comments just made that made you feel uncomfortable or maybe inappropriate. I mean, what's sad about that is that in no way uh, is a servant leader to place women in a position where they feel uncomfortable or less than. Uh, that's not supposed to happen in complementarianism. It's supposed to be the opposite, where a woman feels empowered and 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 served and and appreciated. But you actually had, have you had the opposite experience, which is yeah. all too common with them. Um, complementary churches
2: so yeah well and the irony is like it <laughs> it only makes sense right like if we're going to hold to a framework that is going to put restriction on women even if we genuinely believe those restrictions are biblical okay check yes then we should be making even more effort and trying even harder to ensure that those restrictions are not altering the value of women in our body because they are restricted from certain positions positions of which are highly respected and highly valued. If we're not gonna allow women into that space, what other spaces are we making for them? What else are we doing? What checks are we putting in place to ensure their overall value as an image bearer and as an essential part to this body is not being diminished? That's like, that's how the heart of complementarianism should function, but it's the opposite. It's no, because we have this framework and because we have this theology, we're gonna think less of women we're going to consider them even less. We're going to make even less space for them because they're never going to hold this position. So they don't need the mentorship. They don't need the support. They don't need the same training. We're going to think of them to an even less amount because it, it's not in our framework to really consider them, at least not as much as we're considering men. Like that—that that is the functioning out of this theology right now. And that's not to immediately negate the theology is bad. It's to say, hey, if you want to have this theology, you need to be asking yourself bigger questions here. Um, because right now, the way you're functioning out, this theology is not healthy. Um, it's actually very demeaning. Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry.
0: So you get hired. You know you're up against a lot. Some of st- this stuff, you can't even like prepare for what you're coming up against. And you start working practically. And from what it sounds like, it, you felt pretty valued those first few months especially with your immediate boss which we're gonna like just for our listeners going forward that will be director R when she's talking through her story so that we can kind of put some differentiation between the main players in this story here so you feel pretty valued for those first six months and you've even said like it was ideal for you do you want to expand on that just a little bit
2: Yeah. So even to this day, like I explain the first six months of my job as like my new standard of ministry and working with director R to this day, those first six months, that relationship was probably the closest I've ever experienced to like a kingdom minded brother, sister in Christ relationship. He was, I mean, probably my best friend when we moved here, Mm -hmm. we got to dream together, plan together, joke together, talk ministry together. I felt like I could trust him with a lot of like my previous experiences in ministry and what it had been like to be a woman in these spaces. It genuinely seemed like he wanted to learn from that and wanted to hear what it had been like for me and was always very empathetic toward my experiences that I would share with him. He would, you know, give me shout-outs whenever he could in his sermons. He would uh in, in our first few retreats allow me to Look over his sermons and add whatever I could, definitely fought to give me opportunity to teach as he could as our schedule allowed because, you know, anytime I taught on a Sunday night, which is when our youth met, he didn't get off the hook from teaching. He still had to teach. And then we'd have to, you know, either split middle school high school, and then we each teach two different things or split girls and guys. and again, Teach two different things. And so, even the opportunities I was allowed to teach, it's not like it was taking a lot off his plate, but he still fought to like give me those opportunities. And I felt genuinely honored by him and respected by him in those first six months and genuinely enjoyed my job. And I do want to say, too, like, and that's going to be kind of consistent throughout my story it felt like my daily job and then the daily culture I was living in were two completely different things. So I loved my job. I loved working with director R. I loved working with these girls and building this female leadership team of youth leaders that I got to do. But the reality was like, I was still existing in this space where people are mistaking me for an intern. People are thinking I'm just kind of like a glorified small group leader. People definitely respect me far less than the other men on staff when we're really doing the same job. I'm not being given a ton of opportunity. Again, director R did what he could, but at the same time I'm teaching once, maybe every three months. And then when I do teach, there's no one present to give me feedback. Like there's no other pastors in the room. My own boss and mentor is not in the room. Um, and over the year I worked there, he watched me teach twice. And so I'm I'm not growing in my gift. I'm not even aware of like, you know, is it going well? I mean, I got feedback from who I would teach and they loved it. But, you know, I'm sure, John, you know, like with Worshiply, like it's one thing to just kind of be like, oh, that was great. And it's another to give, get like kind of critical feedback and like, this is why it was good. Or this is what could be better um, from someone mm-hmm. that knows what they're talking about. And that was never something I Development.
0: Received. It's right. development.
2: <laughs> <laughs> how dare I want development? (laughs) And, and, you know, like the reality of I'm sitting there week after week, watching men get invited to teach a youth ministry that I'm pouring my heart and soul into day in and day out that I'm not allowed to teach. That's a growing burden on my heart. Like there's things as I'm caring for this ministry and caring for these students. If this gift is from the spirit, is it a surprise that that gift is like bursting at the seams to want to be used to benefit these students and to benefit this ministry. And so things like that were just getting progressively harder. Meanwhile, in these first six months, the conversation about me and teaching in high school and then just women in general, I know is happening. I know the elders are discussing it. What I don't know is what they're discussing, how it's going. Not one of them Or two, I think I think two invited us to dinner. Like when we first got there. Aside from that, they're not trying to get to know me. They're not having conversations with me. Like they're not coming to me asking about my experience or my opinion on this. And yet they're sitting in a room week after week having conversations about me and about these things that deeply impact me. And so that's starting to weigh on me. Mm -hmm. That I don't I don't really know how these conversations are going. I I came in very much feeling like I was going to be a part of this and that this was going to be something we were going to work through together. And I'm just like begging to understand every few months, like what's going on? Where are we at? Um, What can I hope for?
0: I think it's really important to stop there for a second. For our listeners, for anybody who hasn't been on a church staff, I do know this, this can happen to men too, but it is just different for a female because... As a woman in a complementarian setting, there is not even a path for you to ever be a part of those conversations that directly affect you because you're not a man. You don't get to go to that room. You don't get to go and be a part of those conversations. It's practically, like you were talking about, there's practical things that are affected here, really frustrating because decisions are being made about your ministry, the ministry that you're overseeing or you're working in, without your expertise or your voice included. So decisions are talked about, you're not a part of it. And then you just get handed these decisions and there's no connection. Like that is extremely difficult to work with for anyone in any job that just doesn't make sense for <laughs> the person who runs like the department or the person mm-hmm. that's in charge of this thing to not be Consulted when you're making decisions about it, yeah.
2: and it's common. Like that's just yeah. what happens. And even then, like I, <laughs> it's not like I was demanding to be in the room. Like it, it's not like I was like, you know, I I want notes on the meeting. Like this was I was coming to my superior, like my boss, just like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> like, yeah, where, where are we at? Can you give me something? Like I I didn't feel like I was asking for a lot, and I genuinely believe I was being gracious and respectful and and being patient it didn't feel like that was being matched with an understanding of this is impacting a human being. Like this is, this is affecting a woman who is pouring out her heart into this ministry. It it didn't seem like that was ever a consideration with these conversations and and how I was treated.
0: Yeah. Like when you guys are waiting for a couple of weeks for your next elders meeting to talk about this, that's two weeks of me, like every day being like, am I going to hear something today? Am I going to hear something today? But for you, it's like, oh, and now like, I'm just another agenda item, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's just like, it's the reality of it. That's just what it is. You're a human and you were affected by this, you know?
1: So, so the debate was director R was supposed to go to these elder meetings to, I guess, advocate for you teaching. Right. But is yeah, that correct? yeah,
2: that was kind of what was presented was that um both Director R and then our lead pastor, who we're going to refer to as Pastor D, um, that they were sort of, they had identified themselves as my advocates in the room who were kind of like fighting on my behalf during those conversations. And so they are who I would go to, to try and understand how's it going? Where's it at?
1: And then they, and then Director R wouldn't, wouldn't really tell you one way or the other.
2: Yeah, it would always be very vague. And and for a while, like it just wasn't being talked about, like, and there there was just other stuff going on, which, which I understood. There definitely hit a point where the information I was getting, like, was not a lot. It was also kind of concerning. Like they would just kind of like drop random things that were said and then not really explain like, okay, what was done with that? Um, I remember one comment was made that... One of the elders in the room, I won't say who, one of the elders in the room had said something about the main issue he had with me teaching high school was that his son barely respected his mother at home. And so he's not going to respect me teaching. And that was told to me almost like brushed off. Like, yeah, so he said that was his reasoning. And I was like, wait. did did you say something? Like, did you call that out? Like, what did you pastor that moment?
0: And how is this person an elder?
2: Right. And so I'm just hearing random things like this, like, wait, what the heck? And there would be other moments where it sounded more like the conversation was about whether or not an 18 year old boy is a man, (laughs) nothing to do with women. And like, what their role is, how we celebrate that. How we, like we're, we're now trying to, in a church setting, define, I guess, biologically and scientifically, like what makes a man. You know,
0: and now we're going to talk about whether we should be drafting 18 year olds.
2: <laughs> right. And so I'm like, where is this con? Like the things that I'm hearing are not only not really making sense to how I was told this conversation was going to be presented and had, and was also growing very concerning of like, why is that what y'all are talking about? Or why are those things being said? And it was just kind of adding a lot of burden to what the heck is going on in that room.
1: So I was going to say the absurdity, right, is that you were only really, I guess the job was to teach high school kids, right? Or middle school and high school kids. And the irony is most of those kids probably went to a middle school or high school where they were taught by a female. I mean, odds are that some of their teachers, if not the majority, that was permissible, but yet you were not able to do the same thing, right? Teach from the Bible just because it was the Bible. And Mm -hmm. that's what like, I always like to tell people when I talk about complementarianism, like that's the absurdity of the thought process is that you could be taught by a woman at school. I've hired women. I've worked under women uh, in professional setting. You can work for a woman, but then when it comes to the Bible, like, no. And like the, the crazy thing about it is like when you look at like what uh, Matthew, even when it talks about the salt and the light, about being basically trying to bring the kingdom of God or being part of the kingdom of God here on earth and the renewal of the earth and going into the places to be the salt and the light and uh, the world. That's really what we're supposed to do. Right. And it's not like it's only supposed to be done at Sunday school and youth group and, you know, whatever programs we have, like it's really played out in the real world. So, like, why is it okay then in the real world to have people, women teaching boys and men, or leading boys and men, mm-hmm. but yet in the and the and the Sunday school setting or the church setting, that's some sort of like abomination, which is just absurd. It's like absurd. Like the logic there mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. So the elders, did they ever talk to you? Like, did you ever have an interaction with them where they came and sat down and watched you teach or looked at your curriculum? Was there anything like that
2: that happened? Absolutely not. (laughs) Adamantly, no. And that, that was something, obviously, in this culture and in this process, I'm very much wanting to like, be gracious. And like, this is the first time they're experiencing something like this. This is the first time they're having to have conversations like this. I want to be patient with that. And so in my mind, I'm like, they don't know, like they don't, they, they're not thinking, Hey, it's kind of ridiculous to be talking about this girl and her gifts and whether or not she can use them. And not a single one of us has actually sat and listened to her gifts. Not a single one of us is asking her about, you know, her experience with this. I wanted them to know that and was like, Hey, I would really appreciate presence either when I'm teaching or, um, even more just like interaction. I mean, most of these men wouldn't even say hi to me on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think in my conversations with director R and pastor D that was just something they would, you know, beat like a dead horse was what's going to change through relationship. Change always comes through relationship. People need to know you and get to know you and just be patient and, and all these things. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They're not trying, like they're not building relationship with me. They're not engaging with me. And so that's, what's worrying me. That's what's making me fearful that change is not going to come because I, I'm not being seen here. I'm not being spoken to here. Um, I'm not having a relationship built with me right now. So that was a pretty common complaint, something that I, I asked for quite often that was never really given. And so when you say you asked for that quite often,
0: this is all during that first six months, correct? Where from what I understand, like you're thinking this is Pastor D and Director R are on your team, like they're wanting your feedback. Right. You're sitting on the same team with the same vision, going the same direction, working together.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm continually told that they want my feedback. They want my perspective at one point told by pastor D if, if I felt like he wasn't listening to like grab him by the face and be like, Hey, you're not listening to me. I need you to hear me out right now. Oh God, Like was kind of persistently told we need to hear your perspective. We, that's why you're here is so that we can gain your perspective and hear your experience.
1: Did at any time, did you sit down and say like, Hey, you, you hired me for this, but it doesn't seem like we're progressing. Like, what's the game plan here? Like, how do we, how do we get me to do, how do we get to a point where I can actually do what you hired me for?
2: That was actually one of the questions that kind of instigated one of the worst meetings I've ever been a part of. And this kind of overlaps to, with something that started happening at about the six month mark, my boss director R it was announced that he was going to be transitioned into an executive pastor and that transition would happen as soon as a replacement was had for the director position to be clear this was a director position it was not a pastoral position and so even according to their own complementarian framework there was no reason at least given or even implicit that that director position could not go to a woman at this point I'd been at this job for six months also around this time, my director had his first baby. And so he was out for three weeks and I was left to run the ministry by myself. And it went really well. We had a summer trip that that kind of summer shortly after um, that, again, he had his first baby at home. And so a lot of that was put on to me. That was kind of known as like my trip that I got to plan and execute. And kids came back saying it was the best trip that they had ever had. It went super, super well. And so all of this is kind of overlapping at a time where I think the ministry and, and even families are starting to really take notice of, oh, she's good at this. She is gifted at this. Um, she's pouring into our ministry in a healthy way, and we're seeing fruit from this. And so now that this director position is open, I mean, in a lot of ways, it made sense <laughs> that 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 I would be able to grow into that position.
0: Um, I also think something that was interesting to me when I heard your story was just hearing your director's education and like where he was at in his career and then contrasting that with your education. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that?
2: Yes. Yeah, so my my director was a busy bee. Uh, he was at the time I'm still currently. I think he's about to graduate uh, was finishing his seminary degree during all of this. And then, like I said, had his baby at home and then was being transitioned into executive pastor. So my main man was working two full-time jobs, was a full-time seminary student finishing his degree and had a newborn baby at home.
0: Which is insane. That's really hard for anyone. So your director actually had less formal education than you, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay, I just I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> just put that into the universe. So this director yeah. role opens. You're highly educated, yeah. more educated for it. You have now the relational equity, hopefully, to a degree mm-hmm. to think that you should be maybe considered for this. You've been leading part of that role already.
2: What happens at this point of your story? To be honest, the question itself was instigated actually by a youth leader. Um, One of our male youth leaders became very vocal about why is Nicole not being considered for this. And I'm incredibly grateful to him for that because if he hadn't, I don't think I would have even asked. Like I viewed myself very much lower than that. Again, this culture definitely takes a toll on you. And, And so I my instinct was like, that's ridiculous. Of course, I'm not going to be considered. And and then I was like, wait, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> like, yes, I should be considered. And so as soon as he became very vocal about it, to be honest, so he had, I, I knew that he had sent an email to elders asking, and that email was, I believe it was responded to, but without an answer. And so he repeated the question at a members meeting that I just so happened to not be able to be at because Director R um, needed to be president at that members meeting. And so I had to run youth. And so uh, during that members meeting, this leader posed the question why I was not being considered. And to this day, I've, got, I've gotten very confusing intel of like how that conversation really went and what was said. Leadership was never honest with me that it was even asked, um, let alone like how it was handled. But from this leader, it was clear like he did not get an answer. And so at that point, I'm actually, I'm waiting for Director R to bring it up to me. Because again, he's my friend and and he was in that meeting. And I'm just kind of waiting for him to like, hey, by the way, like this came up. This is what we're discussing. This is what we're talking about. Uh, He doesn't. I, I don't hear from any of the leadership that this has happened. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'll bring it up. And so sat with Director R and asked if we could talk about whether or not I could be considered for the position and if not why not because as far as I knew there was no clear reason why why I wouldn't be and just to kind of backtrack also by this time the elders had voted that I would be able to teach high school that decision was kind of expressed to me kind of how I'm expressing it to you really out of nowhere <laughs> and in a very confusing manner it was like in the middle of a meeting with pastor D and he was like oh by the way this happened and I was like Okay, wait, what? Like, how? How did we get here? What does this mean? And, of course, none of those questions were answered. But, anyway, that kind of played into this as well. Like, okay, I'm now officially able to teach the full youth. And, again, with all these other things added in, I, I don't understand, like, why wouldn't it be considered? And so we set a, a kind of, like, official time to meet, to my perspective, discuss it. That's kind of how it was portrayed to me was that I was about to meet with this man who I met with weekly to talk about stuff like this mm-hmm. and get to share why I would want to be considered for this position. And and that we, we would be able to have a conversation in my mind that he would then be able to take into the elder room to advocate for me and why I think I would be able to have the position and again, in, in my head, he's my friend, and he's seen how well I've done and what's been going on in our youth ministry. I am genuine believe, genuinely believing he would want me to have this position. I arrived to meet with all of that kind of going on in my head and my heart, and that is not how the conversation went. It was very off from the get-go. Something was just weird. He immediately starts the meeting, very um, just what questions do you have? And I'm kind of instantly thrown off of like, what, I thought this was a discussion. I thought this was a conversation. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what, what's my question? And so I just kind of, you know, well, uh, I'd like to know why I'm not being considered for your replacement. And he, he gives me two reasons says, you know, one is that I don't have enough teaching experience, which even him saying that was super frustrated by like, what do you, what do you mean? Like y'all haven't allowed me the experience. And also, like, I know you don't agree with that. And so it just felt very, why is he saying this to me in such a distant manner when I know he doesn't agree with that? Mm -hmm. And I know that he knows that's not fair to, like, use something they've withheld from me for a reason to not get this job. And and then uh, he gives me the second reason, being that there is something wrong with my character that he would like to see grow before receiving that position. At this point, I mean we, you know, we've been working seven months together and an issue of my character has never been brought up, never even hinted at. So that just came like out of nowhere. And I'm instantly confused. I'm instantly stressing of like, oh my gosh, how long has this been going on? Like, there's something wrong with my character. Why isn't he told me? And so I, I ask, you know, oh, okay, can you, can you share more about that? What is it about my character you just became instantly flustered, really uncomfortable, red in the face and just kind of like sputters out. Uh, I'm not ready to talk about that yet. Um, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and so that's kind of where the conversation ended. I mean, I and he just kind of kept asking if I had any more questions and I, it was just such a debilitating feeling to like want to express so many thoughts and like feelings and try and have a discussion with him, but it was being made so clear like this is not a discussion. This is I'm relaying information to you, which was also really confusing because at this point I didn't think the elders had met about this. I didn't think anyone had even talked about this other than me and him. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, is this coming from him? Is this like just what he thought about? Like just reeling with confusion. And overall it was just a really uncomfortable and and difficult meeting that just felt really off. Um, and so then I I I bring up because of course, like we're again leading the ministry together. And so we meet quite frequently throughout the weeks. And so the next week, just during a a normal kind of planning meeting, I brought up the previous meeting as just like, hey, something felt off. I just I kind of wanted to ask about it, it felt really weird. He's kind of instantly like, I'll know what you're talking about. I thought it went great. He then starts this whole like, I prayed about this for weeks, I saw all this counsel. My wife actually got really offended because she thought I was caring more about you than her. And so I instantly, I mean, one, that made me super uncomfortable. And then two, I'm like, okay, what the (laughs) heck's wrong with me? Like, geez, like he went through all that effort and was like spending all this time. Like, why did it feel so weird? Like, okay, maybe I'm off. Like, maybe I was just sad because I didn't get the job. I don't know. And so I just kind of start asking questions, ones that I felt kind of uncomfortable asking the first time around. It doesn't really feel like this matters. But at this point, I'm like, okay, no, I I need to know. So I I start digging deeper. Okay, did this come from you or somebody else? And okay, so did the elders meet about this yet? Or who are you talking to about this? And we're probably 10 minutes into like me kind of grilling him of like, because he's giving me just very minimal, clearly kind of political, that's the best word I have for it, answers. And so I I just kind of keep pressing in. And and that's when finally (laughs) it comes out fully. The last meeting that we had was in no way to be a discussion between me and him about like the possibility of me having the position. Apparently the elders had already discussed it, had already decided. And the decision was, regardless of me, the position would be reserved for a man. This was information I had to basically coerce out of him and beg him to offer me and information he knowingly had, as he was making me feel bad for how hard he tried during that first meeting where he knowingly withheld information from me that he knew I would care deeply about. Well, he also made it
0: seem like you weren't being considered because of your experience and your character, right. not because you were
2: a woman. Right. And so like, why was the first meeting even had like, why were those issues even brought up, especially when you didn't even want to talk about them? I could see one thing of like, okay, well, regardless, you have this character issue we need to talk about, but he didn't even want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so it, none of it was adding up. It was all starting to feel super like sketchy <laughs> yeah. and like, what is going on behind the scenes? And and I think biggest deal is like, my friendship with this man is absolutely crashing. I am looking at him just heartbroken of like, who is this person? Why is he? Sorry. It's okay. Um, why is he withholding this kind of information from me? Um, I think I had this image of what our friendship was. And and even if, you know, a decision like that had been made, the director R I knew even a few months prior to that would have sat me down and be like, hey, so, you know, I don't agree with this. This sucks. I'm sorry, but this is where we're at. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to keep advocating for you. You know, we're going to figure out a way, like it wasn't the decision itself that I think ached my heart so much. It was like the way that it was delivered by who it was delivered by. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it just shattered like any trust I had of him, any relationship we had with each other, um, as friends. Um, and I, and I told him at the end of that meeting, I mean, I was angry. So I was being very choice with my words of like, don't get fired right now. Yeah but the one thing i remember just like adamantly saying before leaving was that i did not feel safe with him anymore mm. um we actually i mean it, it was probably the next week was just a nightmare um both just super uncomfortable with each other it was just super awkward uh cuz again like we're i mean we're having to continue to lead a ministry together and so this wasn't like we only meet once a week and never see each other again i mean we worked very closely together and so the next week was really uncomfortable um we eventually you know, sat down to talk about it again. And he putting quotes around this, he apologized. He, he acknowledged that he misled me. He withheld information from me, but was kind of instantly, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I did such a bad job. I'm sorry. Like I tried really hard, but I guess it just wasn't good enough. Like quickly kind of made himself the victim in it. And there was no real recognition of like the gravity of what he did. It was kind of just like an apology for not handling the meeting. Well,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my gosh!
2: Ugh. I'm just wanting to move on. I'm like, this is so uncomfortable. I'm not getting the job. This sucks. But honestly, I'm like, again, this man had a million things going on. And so I'm just like, maybe it's just a hard season. Like he's, he's clearly being weird. Something's off, but like he has a lot going on. I guess he tried to apologize. I'll take it. It doesn't really matter. Like, I felt at that point, we were at least okay. Mm-hmm. Like obviously our friendship was kind of tainted, but it, it just felt like now is not the time to try and resolve this. Like there was just so much going on that it just felt like that's the best that we're gonna get. And so that kind of felt like it, it, it died down for maybe like two weeks. And then uh, our, we were kind of prepping for a staff elder retreat and Pastor D was requesting that all elders and staff members complete these, you know, development plans. Very much catered to, like, if you're a pastor, like, how to lead your ministry. Even, like, talking with some of the admins at a later point, they were like, How are we supposed to fill this out? Like, we're not in what, like, what are my goals over the ministry? I don't know. I'm an admin. Like, it was just for anyone that worked under somebody else, it was like, This is not up to me. And so, it was just kind of weird. And so, I talked to my director about that. I talked to Dr. R or director R. I was like, Hey, can we, can we do this together? Because like, ultimately this is your ministry and we're doing this together. These kind of questions don't really make sense for me to answer by myself. And I'm about to get a new boss. So like, I'd appreciate if we could do that together. And initially he was like, yeah, that makes total sense. You're right. I can understand how that's confusing. Let's do it. And kind of in that same breath, I was like, Oh, by the way, can we also kind of cover that character stuff you mentioned? Because this whole time, that's still in my head. I'm like, there's something wrong with my character that he just dropped in my lap and has literally never brought up again. I'm a people pleaser to a T. And so I am drowning. And like, what am I doing wrong? Like, <laughs> like, what? what is he seeing in me that he hasn't brought up? Like, why isn't he yeah, bringing it and up? And I feel like um, it is worth
0: saying that like this dude and his wife were your guys' like best friends. Yeah. So- You have to imagine your best friend saying you have character issues, but I don't want to talk to you about them. I just want you to know you have character issues that I feel (laughs) about you. I, I, I have seen you have character issues, but I'm not going to tell you and just go ahead and live your life now and interact with me as if I didn't
2: say that (laughs) it's so awkward. Yes. Yes. And so this felt like the perfect, like, okay, professional development meeting, right? Like, let's talk about my character, talk about moving forward, goals, all of that. So we had set like a a, a day to meet for that. It was probably like on a Wednesday. Um, and so the Monday before, uh, we just had our, our normally typical weekly scheduled meeting just to talk youth ministry. And during that, he shares with me, by the way, um, our Wednesday meeting, Pastor D is going to be there. And I'm instantly like, oh, sketchiness has returned, what? And so I I tell him immediately, I, I say, that's that makes me very uncomfortable. I mean, and I, I told him first off, at this point, I have had very minimal interaction with this man. As a staff member, we would have like monthly meetings with him, and so I had had a few of those. Something to know about this man is he speaks in monologue and only speaks in monologue. And so all of those meetings, he just talked the whole time. Uh, this is not like back and forth discussion, getting to know each other. <laughs> we spent just very minimal time interacting. He has never been involved in youth ministry, mm-hmm. even to the slightest. Like, I don't think he could have even said a topic we had taught on that entire, like several month period. He's certainly not seen me interact with, you know, students or leaders or even Director R. And so I kind of just voiced like, hey, it, it, that seems kind of weird. Like we're, we're meeting to talk about two things, youth ministry and my character. Neither of which do I understand why Pastor D like has opinions on that. Mm -hmm. And two, to be honest, this is starting to feel like I'm about to get ganged up on and that y'all are about to corner me with something that I've been trying to understand for weeks now that you've been withholding from me. And he says, you know, that's, that's not what this is. (laughs) He says, this is for me so that I can grow in my ability to have these conversations because clearly I'm doing such a bad job. And clearly, I've failed in the past. So I need to grow in my uh, ability to have these conversations. So, so stuff
1: right there. So this Director R has already slandered you. He's gaslit you. He's made himself the victim instead of you, right? So he's done all of those things. He's lied to you. And now he's setting you up for a meeting that you're not prepared for emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Like you're already in a place where you don't feel good about yourself and you don't feel good about what was said to you, and no one's giving you an explanation on why that was said. And now you're going into a meeting with a superior that you have zero relationship with, and he's your chief shepherd, and you're on staff. So he's the chief shepherd of the flock of this church, you're on staff, no relationship, and you don't feel safe.
0: And not just that, but you are, it's a, his learning how to have these conversations is at the expense of you and humiliating you in your, I'm using air quotes, character flaws are going to be what's spoken of. And he needs this other person there so that he knows how to talk to you about things that he sees that need work in, in you. So right. it's all at the expense of you. The entire conversation is at your right. expense and for his gain.
2: So super excited. <laughs> Feeling great. Uh, yeah. So we have a meeting um, and it is the first of what me and my husband have begun to call in our home hell meetings because uh, that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first probably 10 minutes of of it, they they kind of let me start um, which I'm kind of sensing a trend of this is like, well, mm-hmm. what questions do you have? Like h- how about you let us know where what you're gonna say before we say anything? Mm-hmm. And so i I just basically explained to Pastor D the exact things I had already explained to Director R, like, well, I have questions on the development plan because it feels like these kind of things I would need to be answered with him. Just kind of more the job stuff first. And Pastor D's <laughs> response to that was, Yeah, that sounds like stuff y'all should talk about offline. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah, that's (laughs) what I tried to do. But y'all dragged me in here. So (laughs) that's weird. And I took everything and made it out, look over at Director R and be like, "Uh, duh. Uh, But I was like, okay. And so we were kind of like wrapping up that, just like clarifying if I had any other questions. And I did at this point bring up, there were a lot of things that I got to do while Director R was out that I really loved doing and enjoyed doing and felt good at doing. And I wanted to get clarity on whether or not I was doing those things because he was out or I would get to continue do them as just growth in my job and like growth in my responsibilities kind of place in the ministry. And of course, you know, what do you mean? And so I, I gave several examples, just like le- leading leader meetings and leading different trainings for leaders. Um, and one specifically I brought up was, you know, I I don't get to teach, but while Director R was out, anyone that would come in to teach, I got to be the one to sit down with them, go over the scripture together, talk about where our students were at, where we were wanting to see them go. And I really enjoyed that and said, you know, even if I don't get to teach, that still feels like I'm getting to use some of that gifting. and, And I really liked that. So I'd really like to continue to be involved in that. The response to that was that, Moving forward, it would depend on who is hired to replace director R was because if they are gifted at that, that that's their responsibility. And so to that, I, I kind of pushed and I, I said, okay, if I'm honest, that's starting to feel like whoever we're about to hire, that their gifts are gonna be at a higher priority than mine, mm-hmm. you know, being utilized. And that's when Pastor D snapped. He started just becoming really aggressive with me. He's like, that's not what I said. Is that what I said? When did I say that? And I, I mean, I'm instantly like, oh, what, what? Like, I've never seen this side of him. So I start panicking and just start trying to like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I know that's not what you said. I was just trying to explain. That's, that's what it felt like. And, and then that's he's like, you were hired to do a job. Are you doing your job? I was like, I, I'm very unclear on what's happening right now. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I'm just so thrown off. I don't even know how to respond. Um, and so then he kind of just starts becoming very aggressive about like basically, I guess, assuming that I was questioning my ability to do what they hired me for. And so he kind of just starts ranting about that, about like how I was hired to do a job and it's his job to make sure I can do my job. And if I'm questioning that, then I'm questioning him and his ability to do his job and all this stuff. And so I start backtracking and I'm like, whoa, wait, wait, I'm not saying like, I can't do my job. I'm I'm saying more like beyond that, like how am I growing in my job? And and the different opportunities that I have in this job. And, and he had asked at one point, he goes, do you feel like you're hindered in any way? And I was kind of shocked at the question itself. Because he has voiced to me by this point, he realizes how difficult it is for me to not be able to teach youth. And that that's hard. And that's not a fair restriction. And so even him asking that, I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course I'm hindered. Y'all are restricting me in ways that you believe are unfair did not say that. I kind of pause and he goes, it's okay. You can answer honestly. And so I say, okay, honestly, yes. What are you talking about? Instantly angry. (laughs) And so I explain that, you know, not being able to teach the full youth definitely hinders my ability to minister to all of them equally, especially the boys. And then he just continues to rant about, well, is that in your job description that you would teach all of high school that you would teach all of youth? And continues to rant about um, me being hired to do a job. And so again, I'm just trying to calm him down, kind of be like, okay, no, that's not, I'm not trying to attack my ability to do my job. I'm just trying to have a conversation with my pastor, with my boss about the ways that I'm being allowed to grow here. He sort of starts to simmer. And then that's when he takes a turn into my character, almost like as he's quotes, calming down, goes, you know, Nicole, you just make it so hard. Nothing's ever good enough for you. And then that just enters into the next probably hour and a half of um, all of my, quote, character flaws, that I'm proud, that I'm arrogant, that loving me is like hugging a porcupine. You like to say that a lot, that I never trusted them. I never trust the leadership. And at some point, like I have to give them my trust and um, I'm clearly not willing to do that, that. Because of past trauma experiences I've had in complementarian circles, I'm just super on guard all the time and clearly just like hate the church and it can do no right. Like, I mean, going off on these constant monologues, I'm not able to get a word in when I try and like ask you know, what, can you give me some specifics that you've, you've seen this in me, like a meeting, a a moment that you felt like, yeah, that was really proud. I'm just, I'm having a really hard time wrapping my brain around where this is coming from. He'd just get really frustrated and and respond with these like vague, Well, it's just been happening for so long. Like we can't even pinpoint where it's not something you're doing. We're not saying it's something you're doing. It's something you're giving off. Like it's a blind spot. You're not gonna be able to see a blind spot and I'm just sitting there like, then what am I supposed to do? Like, I, I mean, I'm in tears. I'm, I'm so confused. I have no idea where this is coming from. And the whole time director R is sitting there silent, saying nothing. I'm, I'm waiting for him to, at the very least, chime in with some sort of like, Hey, yeah, like Nicole may be negative sometimes, but but not like that. Or like, no, I don't think that's fair of her. This this is more where she struggles. Like sometimes, because what Pastor D was like painting of me, I mean, he would dive into these, almost writing this narrative in front of me that made no sense. That one, even if it was true, when have you seen that? You've spent zero time with me. And two, Are not true. Like, I know I don't hate the church. I know that if anything, I've trusted y'all too much. Like (laughs) just constantly sitting in my head, like, I know these things are not true. And more importantly, I know director R knows that they are not true. Like there are deliberate things being said at this point that I am, I am utterly shocked he is saying nothing about. And I remember coming home from this meeting, talking to my husband. And the first thing I said was, I have never seen that side of either of them. Pastor D was this aggressive, reactive, I mean, time bomb, overreacting and clearly sensitive to literally anything I said. And director R was, I mean, frankly, a coward. I mean, just sitting there completely silent, said nothing, did nothing and just let it happen. And I mean, I, I'm leaving, like, I just wanted to know what I could work on to make sure that never happened again. Like bare minimum, that's, That's what I was hoping for. That's like any question I was asking, it was to like, how do I, how do I get this to stop? But was never given that was given these just like vague declarative statements. This is who you are with no explanation as to like how they got to that conclusion. And there was no sort of like, okay, where do we go from here? What's next? It was just like, there you go. Work on it, I guess.
1: Basically, it was a verbal assault, like an abusive verbal assault. How, how many times have you met with Pastor D before this?
2: I'd say one-on-one, probably three to four times.
1: So, so three to four times. And he has an opinion of you. How long were the interactions each meeting?
2: Probably like an hour-long meeting.
1: Four hours total that he's met you in right. less than six months.
2: These were not like interactive meetings. These were four-hour monologues that I was present for. Yeah, and
1: I think it's important in context, right? I mean, you, you were verbally assaulted, right? And <laughs> if a pastor is called to be a chief shepherd, like Jesus is a chief shepherd, and the interaction that you describe, even if you have character issues, right, which you clearly don't have character issues, clearly have a, an outstanding character, and you want to grow and develop, and those are wonderful traits to have as an individual, as an employee. But even if you did, how is that being an example of a chief shepherd by verbally assaulting someone and demoralizing them to a point all they can do is either weep or be flustered and uh, not provide any resolution or next steps? Like, that to me is the big break that this philosophy allows because these men are arrogant and narcissistic and they believe they're better than the rest of us. To me, when you describe that story, what made him mad, this is my opinion, is that you even dared to ask a question, even if it was, how do I improve on my job, that you did not tremble at the fact this man was higher than you and his opinion was was higher than yours and that you dared to ask him a question. And that set him off. Just boom, like that.
0: It's just so unfortunate. And I just hope if any pastors are out there listening, that if you hear yourself in that story, that you go make that right. Because you, I don't know that these men that do this, they don't ever see the fallout. They don't even consider like you, I doubt to be honest, that it has ever even crossed his mind to think about that first meeting, how he spoke to you, how he responded to you. The fact that a grown man was screaming at a woman, or maybe not screaming, but highly escalated and angry to the point that you're like crying. And he made you so small in that moment. And that is not Christ-like at all. I just hope that people are able to see how that affects someone because it makes you feel like a shell of a human. Yeah.
2: And it's also super disorienting. Like I, in one conversation, I'm wrestling in my own mind. Is this my pastor or is this my boss? Am I working at Google or am I working at a church? Am I supposed to be professional right now? Or am I supposed to be asking for like help repenting right now? Like he shifted his own perception of like what he was in that moment over me. Mm -hmm at least like 30 times. And so I I don't even know how to respond. Again, people pleaser to a T. In my mind, I'm just like, what can I do to make him okay right now? What mm-hmm. can I do to just get this to stop? And I don't even know the answer to that. Because am I speaking to someone who believes they're my pastor or someone who believes that they're just like this authoritative boss or Am I speaking to someone that's clearly deeply insecure with his own ability to do his job? It's just so disorienting to you don't even know, like, what do they want from me is I think the thought that was running through my mind this whole time was I don't even know who or what I'm speaking to right now. And so definitely don't know how I'm supposed to be responding or asking for help. (sighs)
1: So how did that meeting end?
2: Me in tears. And I I think he just stopped. Like he kind of just ended his rant. It was clear. I wasn't going to get any questions answered. And and at that point was realizing the more that I asked, the more angry he was becoming. And so I just kind of let him say what he was going to say. And I think at the end, because one of his last little rants was that I didn't have someone discipling me, which at the time was untrue. I had a mentor since January and this was August. So had had a mentor for several months, which again, director R knew about and said nothing. But again, it didn't matter. Like, I just got to sit there and let him say what he was going to say. So he kind of wrapped that up about how, you know, I I probably wasn't being discipled because I wasn't humble enough and I need to be willing to receive other people's correction. And if I'm not willing to make an effort, then it's never going to happen. I'm just like, okay. Uh, And so I get up to leave because he, I think, had another meeting. Was basically like, okay, I have to go. (laughs) So I get up to leave and he goes, oh, and by the way, for your mentor, you can contact my wife. I think she'd be really great. Red
0: alert, red alert, red
2: alert. I was like, literally what? So I just said, thank you. And then I left and then I cried a lot. <laughs> and I think I, cause I went straight to my office and 95% of me believed director R would follow me in and talk to me about what just happened. Again, at the very least be like, I know that was hard. Are you okay do you want to talk some more like anything he just said goodbye and left for another meeting and never brought it up again next day at work pretending like nothing happened and like we were just business as usual
1: what did you feel that next day or that night into the next day
2: I don't I mean I don't even think I slept I I literally just sat on my couch <laughs> my husband of course like I mean I came home a mess just bawling and he, he's just trying to find something to like distract me or like something to do with me. And I literally just sat on the couch spaced out, staring at a wall for like hours replaying everything that was said, like trying to understand like what went wrong. What did I say? Like, um, and not just that conversation. Cause now I'm replaying like seven months of my job, like everything that I've done, everything that I've said, every meeting that I've had, like what, where is this pride? Where is this arrogance? Like, where is what they're talking about? Because I like, if I don't understand, if I don't fix it, it's going to happen again. And yeah, like, I I just remember laying on the couch zoned out for hours, like trying to understand and figure out like what I could have done better, like what, what I had done to even cause it. Um, and obviously came to like, no (laughs) solid conclusions and then uh the next day again like i, I just remember kind of waiting for director artist say something i don't i don't think we were meeting in person that day so kind of was just waiting for him to like either text or call um and it probably wasn't until the next week that he just called about you know like retreat planning and just talked business as normal and just was like trying to plan a retreat and and of course not only am i heartbroken that like he's not even doesn't even want to talk about it. But then also I'm like, how am I supposed to just jump back in my job? I don't, what am I doing? Like, what am I saying that's wrong? Like, Can I, he's like asking me my opinions and I'm like, is me offering opinions? What's making you all mad? I don't know. And so like, I don't even know how to voice perspective or opinion or give feet. He's asking me for feedback on his sermon from Sunday night. I'm like, how am I supposed to give you feedback? Like y'all just like trashed me for like being too negative and all of this stuff. And so, I mean, that, that became every meeting with him from then on out was just crippled with, I don't know what I'm supposed to say right now, what I'm allowed to say, what's going to set them off, what's going to give them like ammo for the next meeting that this happens. Like it was just this bottled up scenario where there was no resolution. There was no even hope of a resolution that it felt like I was just waiting for them to decide whatever they wanted to do with me next. The best thing I could do is just like try and be on my best behavior and make myself as small and as little heard or seen as possible and hope that it didn't trigger anything, which (laughs) was my game plan. And then they invited me to sit in on an elder meeting. So I didn't really know how to, how to make myself small in that one. Um, it, I mean, it, to be honest, it felt like a trap. It felt like, all right, let's see what she does with this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I, was so sh- confused. I was like, why would you even want me in an elder meeting? Y'all just rip me a new one. Like, <laughs> like I wouldn't want that person in an elder meeting. And so I, but of course I knew like if I refused or if I said I wasn't comfortable with it, that that would just be further evidence of my negativity and of nothing ever being good enough. And so I needed to be grateful that I was even being invited into this meeting was invited into an elder meeting um probably I want to say like either two to three weeks after that first meeting. Um I had a week off in in the middle of that. The meeting was to discuss them announcing the decision for me to teach high school to the church. The director called me that Monday and said, Tomorrow morning you're coming to the elder meeting. And I said, Oh, okay. Uh, can I know like what we're talking about? Um, and he had said, you know, communicating that information to the church. And so I kind of asked, I was like, okay, so is this like what we're communicating to the church or just like how we're communicating it? Cause those are kind of two different conversations. Like I'm trying to wrap my brain around. Is this, we're talking about women's issues and where we're at with that? Or is it like email strategy? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Two very different things. Um, And so I kind of just asked like, what's, what's the goal of the meeting? And he said he didn't know that it was pastor it was pastor D's meeting and so he couldn't give me any information and i was like oh okay and again like at this point it's just like everything that's happening is further just destroying any friendship that we had i mean i remember speaking with him for hours on end about getting to talk with the elders about something like this and him promising me of that sorry um Him promising me, if that ever happened, that he was going to do everything in his power to make sure I felt comfortable and safe in that room. Mm -hmm. And he now calls me in like a three-minute phone call. And it's like, you're coming, get ready. And won't even give me what we're going to talk about. It was just like hurt after hurt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so show up to the meeting. I think it goes really well of course the whole time I'm just trying to like catch up. What are we even talking about? (laughs) It eventually, you know, they, they did start just kind of talking about email strategy. And so I kind of asked like, what are, what are we communicating? And that turned into what I felt was a very fruitful, healthy conversation about really seeking to disciple our people through this decision and and helping them understand, like they had been talking about this for over a year and the rest of the church didn't even know. Mm -hmm. Um, they have never talked about this issue within the church. And so, you know, what does that look like to care for them well and disciple them in this next decision that was made and, and what that's going to mean for women? This is me saying all of this, none of the elders that seemed to be a concern, like how the people were going to handle the decision or like discipling them through it, but they were very receptive to like, as I asked about, you know, what would that look like? Yeah. So it, I mean, it seemed like it went really well. Uh, one of the elders stayed next to me. He stood up and gave me a high five immediately after, uh, one of the elders texted me when I was on my way home saying he'd like to get lunch so we can, that he was really encouraged and would love to hear more about my thoughts on the issue. I mean, an answer to prayer. Like that's what I've been waiting for since I started this job. And so I'm like, heck yes. Mm -hmm. Like probably the first moment of hope I'd had in a while of like okay, I can do that. Like, if that's what it looks like for my voice to be heard here, like, that was awesome. And and no, it wasn't, like, I didn't get to say everything I wanted. And there were definitely moments in the meeting of like, ooh, that's cringe. But it was to be expected. And it felt healthy. It felt promising. And I, I mean, I left feeling really good. Received a message from Director mm-hmm. R that him and Pastor D would like to meet with me the next day to talk about it. And ignorant old me legitimately thought, they were about to apologize. Like they were about to be like, you know what? That last meeting was hard. That was rough. But you just went in there and you killed that. You did so good. We're so proud of you. We know that was hard. Like there was no thought in my mind of they could have seen that as bad. Like it went so well.
1: You know, it's crazy. With all, It's not crazy. It's sad. They, they tell you you have character issues. And yet in your story... You continuously take their insults, their abuse, their gaslighting, and you come back to the table, you give them the benefit of the doubt, you think the best in them, and you just want to do your job and share the gospel with kids. And that's not good enough. Like, it's still not good enough. You're still going into this second meeting thinking, I'll forgive, I'll move on, I've got clarity now. For you, like that's a classic scenario of someone who continuously gets verbally abused, right? And continuously is told that they're a problem, but yet your world is so upside down Uh that you can't see clearly. You can't see clearly. You're always trying to find how do I get these people that are abusing me to be at peace, so that they a stop abusing me, but that I please them.
2: Yeah, Yeah. like
1: it's so disorienting. So
2: the perfect word.
1: And that abusive scenario, there is a, there's a shining example of what character looks like. The very thing that they attacked you for is your probably strongest attribute as a woman of God. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking on this side of heaven that that's not recognized in these types of uh, frameworks at church that don't allow for the flourishing of all people. Yeah. But it's beautiful on the other side of heaven to know how God made you and what the gifts and talents that he's giving you. So
2: I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, walk into that uh, next meeting and they asked me, you know, how did I think it went? So good. It was nice to, you know, hear more of y'all's heart and where y'all are at with all of this and um, appreciated being heard. And Pastor D just kind of like sinks back in this chair and is like, well, that's a shock. That's not what I thought you were going to say at all. And I was like, what? <laughs> and he goes, as soon as you left, we all just looked at each other and we're like, what did we do wrong? What, what just happened? Like, clearly we did something wrong. And I was like, "What? what are you talking about? Just kind of kept repeating that same, like, as soon as you were gone, everyone said it. Everyone said it. And, and so I, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Like this man stood up and gave me a high five. Like this guy texted me right after wanting to get a lunch. And, oh, well, we're not saying everybody. We're not saying everyone just like a, a, a good amount. And so I asked, okay, you know, who, who said something? Oh, well, we don't feel comfortable sharing that. Cause we haven't spoken with him yet. And so. I mean, we we go on that track for several minutes, just me trying to understand what, what exactly went wrong, like what exactly what was being said, what exactly. Also, I just have
0: to stop you right there for one second in the fact that they could have said that to you while you were sitting there too, right before you walked out of the room and right, right. this all yeah. could have been avoided, correct? Like, can you imagine that situation? You're like- Well, Pastor D, when you walked out of the room last time, I decided decided all these things about what you said and conversed with many people about it. And I'm not going to tell you who had opinions about you, but there were opinions like what? That's so ridiculous. That's already right there. Like, let me show you my power in this conversation. I hold all these secrets about all these things about you and your character, and I'm not going to even enlighten you on it because you're so small. You don't even get to be brought into the conversation that you were being slandered. Okay. Continue. Just wanted Appreciate
2: to set that. that out yeah. there for um, you. <laughs> and yeah, and so then, at, I mean, at this point, this is when, again, I'm asking for specifics. Like, okay, what we're talking about a meeting that happened literally yesterday. What did I say? Was there something in my tone? Or is there something like that I mentioned that just wasn't received well? Like what, please help me understand, pinpoint what went wrong, especially because I thought it went so well. And so then that's when the conversation became about how I was invalidating their feelings. And because they couldn't give me specifics, that that was like, that I was asking for too much basically. And that it was ridiculous for me to want all of these specifics. And if they can't give me all of these specifics to a T, then they're wrong. That's invalidating their feelings and their experience. And so, yeah, that this second meeting, this is when I started to realize Okay, now me asking for like understanding was the thing now being manipulated to say, see, this is what we're talking about. You keep asking all these questions. You can't just receive criticism. You can't just receive feedback. That means you're proud. That means you're arrogant. You're being argumentative. Um, and so it was, I mean, it was another hour and a half of back and forth. And, and at this point, I, I've never, I mean, I, I I was crying, I was shaking, like visibly shaking in front of them because I was so confused, was so caught off guard and was so mm-hmm. desperate, like to please help me. Like one, I couldn't believe it was happening again. Like I was I was like, I, I don't want to do this again. But there was this like added, I cannot leave this room and not understand because then it's going to happen again. Um, and I was so desperate like, mm-hmm. please help me get there. Cause like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm so tired. Um, and, and now it had become something that I did well. Like, I think before I had it in my head, like maybe I just didn't do something as well as I should have and, and like could just improve on that. But now it was like the thing that I felt probably the most confident in, in several months was now being the thing used to tarnish me. And that was like any hope I had was done, was gone. Like there was no fixing that. That was the best I had to offer. And not only was it not good enough, it was being used to say, this is how bad you are. So yeah, um, that meeting ended. I don't even know how it ended. Oh, he finally gave me specifics. Um, Literally after like an hour and a half of begging for them, he finally goes, as I'm like getting up to leave. Oh. And I guess if there's anything you could work on your face, looked really bored. You just like, you didn't look like you wanted to be there. So like I would work on your face and you tend to sound kind of preachy. Like when you get emotional, I'm infuriated. for <laughs> and, you. Oh, and this was something he did a lot. He would kind of constantly compare me to his wife and daughter, which is very professional very professional. And so at this point goes, you know, you're like my wife, you're like my daughter, like when they get really emotional, they tend to start getting really preachy. And so I, I'd, I'd watch that.
0: Oh my gosh. First off, the most patriarchal thing you could ever say to a woman, your face is not soft and smiley enough for me when you're speaking truth. So nothing you're saying actually has substance unless your face looks the way I want it to look for my fragile self to be able to hear right. the truth come from your mouth.
1: And just scrub off the whole like the verses that complementarians throw out, right? Just scrub that off, and because they they take scriptures and they say, look at this one scripture. I'm basing my entire belief system on this one scripture. Think about this. If somebody said that to you, and that's all you knew about that person, is that a Christian? Yeah. Do you, would you think that person is a Christian? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, and that's a pastor saying that, a pastor. So just throw out all of the complimentary mess and just focus yeah. on what is being said to people to dehumanize yeah. them as image bearers of God. That's exactly right. It's straight up evil. It's all you can say that it is. And that's what's infuriating is that they get to do it because of the 534 yeah. verses that they say put them in authority yeah. which is crazy. So so you left that meeting how how long did you stay after I mean I I mean I admire yeah. you for staying for 7 months. How long did you or 8 months? How long did you stay after that meeting?
2: Uh, yeah, so that so that was probably mid August. Um, maybe late August. And I got fired in October. Um, so and that's another thing I did not choose to leave. I still really wrestle with. Um, so I, I would be there for two more months. And and obviously, like after that meeting, and by the way, it's really easy to look back and be like, that is horrific. I can't believe I like that is in no way. Okay. I still left that meeting, trying to wrap my brain around. How can I stay like I I wanted to stay? Because, and that's kind of what I mentioned earlier, there was all of this going on. And then there was my job and my job was the sweetest thing I've ever gotten to do in my life. Like, and I would often tell people, it feels like I'm trying to choose between like in order to continue and keep the greatest joys that my heart has ever known. And like the closest to the kingdom of God I've ever felt. I have to endure the greatest darkness like I've ever felt. And it felt like choosing between that. I did not want to leave the girls that I got to work with. I did not want to leave the leaders that I got to work with, the families. Like I, I wanted so desperately to hang on to that. And and in my head, I think even after, I think after that meeting, I had at least concluded, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. They hate me. Like (laughs) they clearly like do not like me. I don't know that there's healing there. I don't know that there's reconciliation there. In my head, I had gotten to a point of how do I survive? Like, how do I at least get them off my back to where I can just keep doing my job? And so that was my last two months was like trial and error, figuring out how I could stay. And and I think too, like, okay, Lord, make it clear when it's time to leave. Looking back, he had made it very clear. I just didn't want to hear him. And I was just a coward. And so- <laughs> you were not a coward, absolutely right. not.
1: No, you were you were actually braver than most people because you stayed for the you stayed for the love of the ministry and the love of the people. Yeah. You loved the people you were ministering. You loved the people you were working with. You constantly gave them the benefit of the doubt. You constantly forgave them, looking for clarity and understanding. You were not a coward. You were brave. I appreciate that. You still are brave. I
2: really appreciate the that. The
1: cowards were the men who assaulted you verbally and never brought it up again. Yeah. And they just expected you to accept it and accept your role. That's 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 what a coward is. Yeah. Not what you
2: did. I appreciate that.
1: What you did is very brave. I
2: appreciate
1: that. So what, can you lead us to yeah. that meeting? Like, how did it happen? Yeah.
2: Um, so obviously at that point, relationship with director R is destroyed I mean there was a two-week period he didn't even talk to me like he just like didn't come into work and afterwards like oh sorry was busy we'll catch up later and then wouldn't would give me like maybe 30 minute phone calls once a week if he could like fit it in with all the other meetings he had going on and then even those meetings I mean the talks themselves were uncomfortable I obviously didn't feel safe it was just bad. And then obviously I'm growing in like depression and anxiety. I'm barely able to, to get out of bed. People are starting to notice, <laughs> like people are starting to notice I'm not okay. Um, and so that kind of led into a, a leader meeting we had for a high school retreat that we had coming up, which again, by this point was, I mean, mainly planned by him with kind of random check-ins to me. This was not something planned together. He decided the topic by himself, decided the speaker by himself, like And then would just give me like these thirty minute. Hey, this is what's happening. And do you have anything to add? I'm like, no. Okay. During that meeting, he obviously is leading it, and then kind of puts me on the spot and is like, and now Nicole's going to talk about our theme and why we chose it. And I'm instantly flustered. Like I'm like, I didn't even choose the theme. You chose it. I don't. I don't know why. So I. I flusterly like let some explanation out that doesn't make any sense. It was just clearly uncomfortable. And I, and I think leaders could sense in that meeting, like I I was frustrated and I was tired and things were not okay. And in typical fashion at this point, no one comes to talk to me about that. They go to him and they ask him if I was mad. And that is what was used that next Monday to drag me into another meeting just with him that, you know, this is just further evidence of my character issues. And now other leaders are starting to see it. And now it's affecting like my professionalism. This is the first time that word is brought up. that I'm not being very professional that if I have a problem with him, that's something to be dealt with between me and him. I try to make clear, I've been trying to deal with things with him, but it's kind of impossible. And he won't talk to me. And anytime we do talk, it's like in a meeting with Pastor D and going horribly at this point, like, I don't care if I lose my job. Like I'm, I'm starting to get more bold of like, things aren't okay with us. And obviously people are going to see that, but now it's my fault. Like I, I'm just trying to make sense of it. And so anyway, that meeting kind of ends with him very clearly trying to get me to quit. And this, this had happened in the previous two hell meetings where there would be these kind of lines of questioning, like, do you even like it here anymore? You know, uh, if we need to, you know, write you a a reference, we will like, if we need to find you somewhere else where you feel like you can better serve or whatever, like we'll find it for you. And so that like things like that had already been said. Um, but this was definitely director R, like, would almost refuse to get off of the topic until I, said like I was going to quit, um, was very like, you know, if you're this miserable here, why do you even want to stay? And then I, I give an answer, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm trying to stay, but it feels like y'all don't want me. And he'd be like, okay, well, wait, go back. Cause you, you, it sounded like you were about to say something. Were you about to say something? Like, I want to circle back to that and would like kind of not let me leave that line of questioning until eventually I I called him on it. (laughs) I was like, it, I feel like you really just want me to quit right now and he was like uh no i just don't want you to feel like we're we're making you stay for this retreat or to just like finish out stuff with you like i'm i'm doing this for you to which i was like okay well i haven't made any decisions so i guess we're done with this conversation and so he he had another meeting so he left to go to that i had a scheduled meeting with pastor d again one of those monthly staff meetings i had mine scheduled for that following tuesday he texted me that morning saying he would like to reschedule to Wednesday, which that's kind of known as our full staff is at campus that day. And so at that moment, I was pretty positive they were going to fire me. I, I try. I was like, I'd appreciate if we can keep this morning. My Wednesday is really busy. And he said no. So we met that Wednesday morning and I walked in and Director R was already in the room with him and they were, you know, in hushed tones and then finally called me in and said it would be my last day. Of course, I asked why. And the stated reason is professional immaturity. I'm curious, Jay, like
0: in the professional world, is any of this acceptable? I mean, there's like HR for situations like this. And Acts 29 is known for being good businessmen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think in corporate world, I've seen shady firings. um, But for the most part, there's checks and balances on why people have to be fired or if they're let go. And those checks and balances have to be vetted through, like, legal and human resources. And, I mean, what happened to Nicole was would not stand in a, a good corporation, but it could happen. The part that bothers me as somebody who spent most of his life in corporate world is that to the church, again, we're called to be shepherds of people and shepherds of our flock, and and in no way was Nicole shepherded. But also, even if you have to let somebody go, the way that she was let go and the reasons she was given are inexcusable. Uh, makes no sense. Like it's a disconnect from the call of the church and what it means to be a shepherd, to let somebody go for something that frankly, is isn't really a legitimate reason to fire somebody. If anything, if you say, oh, you're professionally immature, then the next step is, but here's some things we're going to do to help you get to where we want to go. And here's my vision for you. Here's our goals for you. Here's your role. Here's how I want to come alongside to help you. And I mean, you've only been there seven months. I mean, that's their eight months at this time, I guess. The absurdity and the fact that they could make all of these judgments of you in eight months is, with limited interaction uh, just speaks to their character more than anything. And
2: at that point, uh, I'd, I'd been there a little over a year. Um, okay. Well, yeah. even then, over a year. Yeah. I mean,
1: still, that's not enough. So, yeah. but it's, I mean, Jonna, to answer your question, it's it, it doesn't surprise me. If I was working for an organization and this is how they treated people, I'd leave that organization very quickly. And that's like in the corporate world. So what did you do (laughs) directly after that? Like, did you, you know, throw things or go home and drink a lot of margaritas or?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Kind of close. Uh, Yeah, I mean, drove home and just, I mean, absolute shock silence. Went in, told my husband he works from home. So went in, told him they fired me. He was shocked. I was kind of shocked at how shocked he was. I was like, things weren't going good. Um, But I think he more came from the mindset of like, he knew they had absolutely no valid reason to fire me. And so I think that's where he was shocked of like, I can't believe they did that. He knew things were bad, but I think in his mind was always leaning back on like, well, they can't fire her. Like they have nothing. And so the fact that they said, screw it we're going to do it anyway like i he was just floored um he i he, i've i don't think i've ever seen him that shocked just kind of fell on the floor of his office and sobbed so yeah we kind of just like processed what had happened um in that meeting and i started calling the moms of girls i i personally discipled i obviously in the meeting they didn't tell me like how they were going to tell students or families like that was not a concern in the world was like how other people were going to receive or be told this information and so I wanted them to hear it from me they were all shocked had a few of them cuss (laughs) were just very confused I mean this it is hard to put into words like how out of left field this came for our whole church there were no signs of like anything was wrong, anything was going on, that there was any type of like corrective thing going on with me. And so I'm having to basically explain, try and explain everything I've explained to y'all and to these moms and try and make sense of, you know, that that was worth me getting terminated. I probably had like two or three phone calls that day. Uh, my husband, we sat out on our patio and we just drank beer at like, I think it was probably like 1030 at that point it's what you do, you know, at that point, you don't even care anymore. And so um I just I mean, just cried, like it, every fear that I had of like, why I didn't want to quit was now real, Um and was no longer my choice. I think if anything, mm-hmm. the one like, silver lining in them firing me and me not quitting was like they, they had to answer for it. To this day, I'm very grateful for that. If I quit, they would have easily mm-hmm. just, you know, we had different views. She wanted to go somewhere else, like whatever. Um, but because they fired me, they had to answer to it. And so that that Sunday, um, so I was fired on Wednesday. That Sunday, a members meeting was already scheduled, which was, that was actually going to be our marker for whether or not I was going to stay. Because during that members meeting is when they were going to announce me teaching high school. And so that had already been scheduled. And I, I figured that obviously they were going to announce Me getting fired at that meeting. And so my husband ended up going to that meeting and also just, you know, had people throughout kind of texting me as they were finding out and what was happening. The congregation was not happy. (laughs) Actually, had a lot of uh, dads be very vocal about kind of the more like, you can't just fire someone. Like, what steps were taken? Was there a development plan? Was she clear of the goals that she was supposed to be meeting and the things that she was supposed to be working on? kind of that more corporate aspect of, you know, what steps were taken to which they had obviously no answers for. Had a lot of families stand up and talk about my character and how, how valued I was to them. Uh, at one point receiving applause to that, Pastor D got very angry and sort of cut them off and said, I think it's very inappropriate that we would be praising someone whose gifts clearly outweigh their character publicly,
0: publicly to everyone
2: in front of, yeah, all the members. There was another point he had called me an employee, which he had called me that like 40 times while firing me. I mean, it was constantly like you are an employee. I am your boss. You receive correction. You don't need to like talk back. You don't need to have all these excuses or ask these questions. Like you take it and you receive it and you won't. So you're professionally immature. So he referenced me as an employee in front of the members and had multiple men push back on that. I think it's really inappropriate. You call her an employee. She's family. Um, She is a sister. He got mad at that, said, Mm. uh, you know, I disagree and was like visibly irritated with them. I think overall, like they definitely presented, they had all the elders on stage as they talked about this. And so sort of made it seem as if they had all been involved in this, which if y'all, I mean, as we've talked about my story, not a single elder is involved in any of this. Like not one of them talked to me, not one of them checked in. As far as I knew, I didn't even know they knew about what was going on, but presented to the church like that this had been some sort of, you know, full-on elder involved process that was going on. At one point, Pastor D referred to me as his daughter, like his daughter, (laughs) Uh, which (laughs) Troy was like, that's probably the closest I got to like uh, getting up and leaving my husband. Yeah, it was, I mean, I think like an hour a little over back and forth between congregants and the elders, just kind of grilling them about what happened. And they still just like, weren't given a lot of clarity, obviously, (laughs) um, to what had happened. But yeah, so that was kind of, kind of my week was just waiting to hear how they handled it, how they spoke about it slowly, like seeing who reached out and who, you know, checked in with me. No one on the staff has ever reached out to me since it happened. Not a single elder or elder's wife. We had several families that we were incredibly close to who we still have still not spoken to us since. And then there were a few that I think really tried to fight for us and scheduled meetings with them and tried to ask hard questions. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was the same type of manipulation and vagueness and disorienting of the conversation that, you know, they did with me. And they get to control like the narrative of what's said and and what happened. So
1: not anymore. Um, So where, where are you today with your faith and your church? Yeah. Where are you at Um,
2: today? Definitely don't know. That's I think my, my baseline answer. Like I have no idea. Um, I definitely am not. I think the go-to advice and like counsel I've been given, I think more so from people that don't have not experienced this type of situation before is to assume like, I don't trust God or like I am like wrestling with like where he is in all of this. Um, that really hasn't been my struggle. I know where he is in this and he's pissed <laughs> and he is with, the, he is with the grieving. Um, and he is with the hurting. Mm-hmm. Amen. And he is very much aware of what was done to me and what happened behind those doors. And, and I know that is true that still doesn't change like the grief of it and the, you know, injustice of it and the things to cause like anger and hurt. Like that's still there even like while trusting God um, and knowing that he has me and like, will care for me through this. And he is caring for me Mm -hmm. through this. I think with, it's more, obviously like more struggling with regards to church. I mean, just like the system that it's become and, Mm -hmm. um, how damaging of a system it's become. And and two, it's hard because we, we have only ever been in a very particular space, um, a very white reformed complementarian space. I want to be very aware and careful of like any issue I've had in that space should not be reflective of the global church. It should be reflective of that space and the impact they are mm-hmm. having on the global church and how concerning that is. And so I think right now I'm just trying to wrestle with like what Of what happened to me, what is on pastor D and the fact that he is clearly an unhealthy leader and man and should not be in pastoral leadership. What is it of complementarianism and how that almost like set me up (laughs) to be in this position and then have them get away with it and have me be in the perfect place to have this done to me without real question or issue from even the culture and even other members of our church and how much of it is even outside of complementarianism, just the way that we have set up our churches to function um, and where the accountability is at and where it's not, and how we view pastors and how we view authority and all of that. And so I think we're just in the of processing all of that and trying to, you know, draw whatever conclusions we can of like, okay, so what does this mean? For where we go from here. What does this mean for what we're now looking for? What we're on guard about? What kind of church we'd ever even want to be part of again? Like it's all just kind of trying to process through to get some answers in regards to all of that. But yeah, I think think for my faith, the hardest thing has definitely just been, I described it to somebody the other day of like, I know where God is. I know that he is near me and he is present. But I also know that these two men built a really ginormous wall in between me and him to where, I mean, I, I Mm -hmm. was questioning his voice and my ability to hear his voice and my judgment of what his voice was telling me to do for months. That doesn't just go away. (laughs) Like that doesn't just like, okay, they're gone now. So I can hear God clearly and perfectly and totally trust my own judgment of that. Now that's all still there. And that's all like a process to heal even like having people pray over me, like it just, it brings me back to that place where I had people pray over me while this was happening and pray that I would just be more gracious and be more patient and refuse an outsider's mentality and like all of these things, putting the blame on me. And so now like people ask to pray for me and I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> what are you going to pray? And so it's just little things like that, that just bring you back to that place of what happened and these kind of, Spiritual things that were used to cause harm and to make you feel small and scared (laughs) and not even human, all of that is still there. And it's just taking time Mm -hmm. to, and some of it too, I think is going to take new memories to, you know, redeem that again, redeem prayer, redeem scripture, communion, like those things have all been tainted now. And so I think some of it is, is obviously like crossing through that, processing through that and, and reconciling that, but then also just waiting and being patient for the Lord to restore it. Cause those things are his, they don't belong to these men. They don't belong to acts 29. They don't belong to mm-hmm. the white church. Like they belong to him. And so I fully trust that he's going to restore stuff like that. And he's going to redeem it in my life in ways that are far more beautiful than what I experienced there. It's just waiting for it to happen and doing our due diligence to ensure we don't enter into another situation or place where those things will be used against us again.
0: Amen. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Nicole, (laughs) I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you and your voice and your care. I'm kind of a little bit speechless. This is like my third or fourth time getting to talk with Nicole and hear her story. And every single time I am just blown away by your heart and your tenderness and your pursuit of good in the midst of a lot of really gross evil. I'm just so sorry. And I know you don't need to hear that from me, but as your sister, I'm just so sorry that you had to go through this and that you're still walking it. And I can't promise (laughs) that you're going to be done walking it anytime soon. I am still walking it. I think Jay is still walking it, but I do love what you said that these things that have been taken, these things that have been tainted, they were not those men's to do that with, and God will restore it. And That is just what is so insidious and why we're even doing this and why you're even speaking today, why you wanted to talk, because people don't have words and don't understand Mm -hmm. how insidious spiritual abuse is and how it really gets into your soul, into the core of you. It affects you emotionally, spiritually, mentally, like every part of you, your soul, your humanity is assaulted and questioned and turned upside down and I'm so excited for the day that I get to have this conversation with you and we get to look back and see how you were restored and how God redeemed this and I I am fully believing that's going to happen and I'm just so grateful yeah. that you're yeah. allowing us to Thanks. be a part of that journey.
2: I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> and I I hope that um Anybody that's listening to this, that got to hear your voice, is able to to wrestle with the fact that their sister, like you are, if you're a believer out there, this is your sister that experienced this. I hope you feel the weight of that. And I hope you really wrestle with what that looks like.
1: I'm just sorry to you. And you have a beautiful heart. Uh, honestly, you have amazing character. I'm confident that God, who did begin a good work in you, is going to finish it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that I go to in my own recovery is, I believe in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I believe that for you. And mm-hmm. I hope that this is part of that as you get your voice back and you get your gifts back, because those are your gifts and the Lord will use them. And while John's point, this will be with you and you will still process this. God is in the midst of this. And he will love you through this. And he loves you now. And he will continue to love you through this. And he will redeem this part in your life uh, and restore it to what it needs to be. These men have made something that is so beautiful and so lovely that God created with the flourishing of discipleship and preaching and teaching of his kingdom. And they've twisted it and they've used it for their own control and their own gain. And that is sinful and wrong. God will take what you have done and restore it for good here on this earth. And it will never work like it's supposed to look in our lives because it never does. But um, hey, it's still going to be beautiful and lovely. And I'm just glad we got to hear your story and share it with you. And we weep with you and we lament with you. And um, to the men who do this, I just say, if you really believe in complementarianism and you really believe that you're supposed to serve uh, women well, ask yourself this. How are you serving them well like this? Are you really living up to those principles? And to Acts 29, who preaches this as one of its tenets, how is this an example of that being well? What are you going to do with this pastor? How are you going to hold these two pastors accountable for the abuse, manipulation, and gaslighting? How are you going to answer for that? That's all I would say. Recently, when I was driving home with my daughter from an errand, we passed a small church. As we drove past, she told me she missed our former church, the church we attended for six-plus years with John and her family. She said she missed her friends and community. I hurt for her because I know this loss was significant. She then jokingly blurted out, let's go back and you be the pastor, Dad. I laughed and politely said, no thank you. She then playfully added, I'll just do it then. I told her that one of the reasons we left our former church was because they didn't believe that women could be pastors. She paused and earnestly asked, Do you believe I can be a pastor, Dad? I froze for a moment, not because I doubted my answer, but because I thought of people like Nicole. Nicole was not naive when she took the job at her church. She knew it was going to be an uphill battle. But she was also hopeful. She was hopeful that the common bond for the love and truth of Jesus would always win out no matter what. When she was not allowed in their meetings, conversations, lunches, or on stage, Nicole remained loyal. When she was ignored for seeking clarity on her role in the church, she worked harder. Even after being gaslit and belittled when she expressed a desire for advancement in church leadership, she didn't give up. She loved her church, she loved her brothers in Christ, but Nicole's love was dangerous was threatening to a system of power and privilege, a system that would only welcome her if she remained silent. I told my daughter that she could be a pastor if she wanted to be one, and if one day she does become a pastor, she will have that opportunity because of women like Nicole, women who despite all the lies and slander about their character, courageously plunged into the unknown waters of change and let us all. To the other side. For Jonna Harris, I'm Jay Coyle, and this is the Bodies Behind the Bus podcast.